I read this story and I just couldn't believe that it could be true because it's a story about a cat. So that's, first of all, I usually don't tell a story about cats because only dogs go to heaven. No, I'm just teasing. I, if you're, I know we have a lot of cat lovers here, but I heard this story about this cat. It amazed me. It's this cat named Howie and it's the Hicks family and they lived in Australia and they went on this really long extended vacation. They're going to be gone for months. And so what they did is they took Howie, their cat, and they brought it to some relatives who lived a thousand miles away from them. And then when they came back from their extended vacation, their relatives said, we got some bad news for you. Howie's gone. Howie hit the road. Howie went on to greater things. No, Howie just left. They couldn't find him. Howie's an indoor cat. All of a sudden, Howie left. The family was devastated. So they went back home. And then a year later... Uh, the Hicks family daughter came home from school and she saw this mangy, unkept, starving cat. And guess who it was? It was a neighbor's cat. No, I'm just teasing. It was Howie. Howie came out. What happened is Howie took him. Howie spent 12 months crossing a thousand miles of the Australian outback to come home. And Howie finally came home. Amazing story. True story. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are nesters? And what I mean by that, you, you like to, you just like to be home. You like to bake. You like to put on your snuggie. You like to lay on your couch and watch a good movie. How many of you? Okay. How many of you? Okay, good. See the first service, only women raised their hand when I said that. So I was glad to see some of you men who are secure in your masculinity. How many of you you're more like, you're more like a wanderer. You, you, you like to travel. You like to be out. You like to hike. You like to find new places. You're, you're more of a wanderer. How many of you are wanderers? Okay. I'm so glad you are participating in this. Like six people raised their hand. Okay. See, there's, there's this thing in all of us, a, a, a special place. I believe that's in our hearts for home. And, and whether you grew up in a, in a rural setting, like you like farming and animals and, and John Deere tractors, right? Um, maybe you grew up in the city and you like the hustle and the bustle of, of city life. And, but at the end of the day, everything has to do with our home. There's something about coming home. There's something about home. Kathleen and I, my wife, we, we both from Rochester, but we've lived in Albany and New York and we lived in Charleston and, and both are very nice places to live, but there was something about actually coming home. And we love to brag when we lived in these other places uh, about what Rochester was like. And the two things, if you're from Rochester that you brag about, everybody knows the first thing you brag about. What's that? Garbage place. You guys know. It's the garbage place, right? And, and you tell people, we love these things. They're called garbage plates. And you tell them what are, what are in these garbage plates. And you tell them the, 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 the wonderful thing about garbage plates is it's, it's that they're the gifts that, that keeps on giving, right? Especially if you have a lot of hot sauce on it, right? You're like, man, yeah, you always say to yourself, I will never get another garbage plate but then you do and then then the other thing we like is our custard right habits you know they, we got this special ice cream and and so when people come to visit you want to take them to these places and show them this is this is what rocher is all about and and so you know our home is our roots it's it's something deep that has been instilled within us so whether you're a, a nester or you're a wanderer we all long for a home nesters love to create a home and wanderers are looking for a home but i believe there's something deep within us, within all our hearts, longing to be home. 
And that's why I love these stories about these animals that were lost and they found their way home. But I believe there's something in us, there's this longing for home that reflects greatly in what we see in the human heart or the condition of the human heart. There's this sense of homelessness, this dislocation in every heart. And this is why I believe that. Here's the reason why. We have been evicted from our first home. Each and every one of us, there's this sense of homelessness. And as we've been going through the book of Exodus, we have been learning how God mightily moved in Israel's life to redirect their lives. God was taking them out of this Egyptian bondage to take them out of that, to lead them to himself. Actually, what God was doing is actually leading them home. They were dislocated. They were in this foreign place. This wasn't their home. And God, through the promises of God, through the covenant of God, said, you are my people and I'm going to bring you to myself. And so he brings them out of this Egyptian bondage over 400 years. He brings them through the Red Sea. He takes them out into the desert. He miraculously provides for them manna from heaven, water from a rock. God establishes relationship with Moses at Mount Sinai. And he gives them the Ten Commandments to him. And he establishes his relationship with his people. And I want you to think for a moment. The Israelites are homeless. They don't have a home. They're not in the promised land yet. And they're in this wilderness season of their existence. And what God will do for Israel is show them the way back home. And I believe you've probably never heard it taught this way about the tabernacle of God. What God does is he gives them the plans on building this tabernacle where God's presence will reside. And what I'm going to show you today is how the tabernacle, through the tabernacle, through the building of the tabernacle, God is going to actually show them the way home. And what God is going to do is he's going to reside in this place. His presence is going to be amongst them. And so the reason why, look at your notes there. I've got this, I've got this statement in your notes. The reason why humanity suffers from this deep sense of not being settled, a deep sense of dislocation, a feeling of homelessness, is for the reason we were evicted from our first homes. And I want you to realize there is this sense of restlessness in all of us. And what we end up doing is we end up chasing all these things to try to find purpose and to make sense of our lives. But there's always this restlessness, right, in in our hearts, And in the book of Genesis, God places Adam and Eve in the garden, in the garden of Eden. This is their home. They lacked for nothing. They had everything, safety, security. In the middle of their home was the tree of life. And what made this place so special is God's presence was there. And so from the time Adam and Eve were evicted from the garden, there's this sense of of restlessness, of homelessness. And so what God does, catch this, this is so good. What God does is he takes them out of Egypt to bring them to himself, to show them the way home. This 
is your home. I'm going to show you. But ever since the eviction of uh, out of the garden, there's this sense of homelessness. And the place that made that home was the presence of the Lord. See, they were home with God there. But what happened? Well, Adam and Eve rejected God's word. They ate from the tree, which they were forbidden to do, do so. And so God punished them. There's this rejection. So he banded them out of their home, out of the presence of God. I want you to see something here in, in Genesis 3 because it explains it. It says, so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had, which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and flaming swords flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. They were banned from that place. And what's interesting here is Adam and Eve are now east of Eden. And then something terrible happens within their family, within their two sons. Cain kills his brother Abel because he was jealous of his offering to God. And Cain went from the Lord's presence. And the Bible tells us that he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So what is so concerning here? Well, they they are so far from where they should be, further and further away from home, the garden, and ultimately from God's presence. So from man's first rebellious action against God, we find a distance and God sets into plan a way of redemption to bring us back home. Every single one of us, every single one of us has fallen short of God's perfection. See, here's the thing that separates Christianity from every other belief system. Every other religious belief system is man's attempt to try to broach that distance between man and God. And so whatever other religious system will do, it's by what you do. It's your works. It's your righteous act. And I've explained this before. It's like a ladder. You climb up the ladder to try and hopefully reach God. And God said, there's no ladder that is high enough that you can ever reach my perfection. So what God does, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. God actually comes down the ladder to where we are and he resides among us. What God is going to show Israel is I want you to build this tabernacle so I can come down and live right where you are at. See, what we'll do is we, we, we read Exodus and we, we end up stopping after the 10 commandments after Exodus 20, because then it starts getting real technical. Like, cubics and how big the temple should be and this and that and what and and we kind of get bored with it but i want you to tell i want you to know something here exodus chapter 25 we're going to read it in a minute through chapter 27 is vital for us to understand because it has everything to do with god's presence and dwelling among his people this is so important for us to understand because the reason why we are so restless in our lives is because there's a sense of homelessness in our lives. Listen, listen, listen. Everybody look up here. What we're searching for and what we're looking for is the presence of God. And what we end up doing is we look for cheap substitutes to find the presence of God in our life. And what God does for Israel, he says, I am going to give you my presence. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But I'm going to dwell in your midst to show you the way home. I'm going to come into your presence to show you who I 
am. It's amazing. And so that's where, that's what we see in the book of Exodus. God brings them back to him, basically bringing them back home and God would lead them to the promised land. And when they get there, it will, it would only be a foretaste, a pointer to what the true and eternal home with God will be like. And we're going to, we're going to connect the dots on that to what we see now and what has been shown to us in the new Testament. And so in the wilderness, God gives this plan for the tabernacle or tent, the place where God would meet them. So in a sense, look at your notes there. In a sense, the tabernacle, this is, this is neat. In a sense, the tabernacle is a map. It's actually a map showing Israel and us the way back home. The tabernacle is actually a picture of Eden. Isn't that amazing? The tabernacle itself is showing Israel and us the way back home. The tabernacle is actually a picture of Eden. And I want to show you this because what we're going to see, we're going to see this in Exodus chapter 25. So the the tabernacle is this map showing us the way back home. Something that was lost because of man's rebellion in the Garden of Eden. So if you've got your Bibles, let's look at Exodus chapter 25. And let's look at this together. And he gives them descriptions on the offering for the temple and what the ark would look like. And so Exodus 25 verses 1 through 22. Let's, let's look at that together. And it says this starting in chapter 25. It said, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You would receive the offering for me from, from each man whose heart prompts him to give. To give. These are the offerings that you would receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, uh, scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ramskin dyed red, um, hides of sea cows. I, I don't, manatee? I don't know. It was, I don't know. Sea cows. Manatee. I don't know. That sounds cool. Uh, acacia wood, olive oil for, uh, for, for, for light, spices for anointing oil and the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod of the breastplate. And then look at verse 8 here. This is pivotal to this whole chapter. It says, then have them do what? Make a sanctuary for who? For who? Was it for them? No, it was for God to do what? That I might do what? Dwell. This is so pivotal for us to understand. That I might dwell among them, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, cubit and a half wide, Cube and have high, overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make the gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings, for it has been fastened to them, and it's four feet with two rings on one on side and, and two rings on the other side. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings and the size of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark, and they are not to be removed. Then put the ark Put the ark, the testimony, which I give to you, make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, cubic and a half wide, and make the two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherubim on one end and the second one on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover. And on the two ends, the cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking towards the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put the ark of the testimony, which I will give you there above 
They're above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Testimony. I will meet with you and give you all the commands for the Israelites. Now, now here's what I want you to see about the, the reading of those verses. Is that the garden and the tabernacle are very similar. In fact, strikingly similar. Both the garden and the tabernacle have these beautiful stones. It's a place where you can meet God. And both the garden and the tabernacle, what we see here specifically in verse 8, is God dwelt with them. So as much as the tabernacle and Eden were similar, the tabernacle was not home ultimately for them. It was a map that pointed to our true home. And this is what makes the Bible so exciting. This is what makes the Bible so exciting. You might think reading Exodus 25 through 27, you might say, well, let me just get through this. I'm just going to plow through this. And the tabernacle and all that's within it doesn't relate to where I'm going, what I'm going through, maybe what you're going through today. But I want you to realize that it does. Through the tabernacle of God, God says, I have come to dwell among them. I want you to specifically do it this way because this is how my presence is going to be. I want my presence to dwell here. And you may think, well, why was God being so specific here? I want you to remember that God is a holy God. That this tabernacle was going to be a place where sacrifices would be made. That they couldn't approach God on their own. But God says, I'm going to make a way that you can come close. Where my presence can reside and where your sins can be atoned for. See, while they were in exile, they were cast out. They were homeless. But God now comes to them and will establish his relationship with them. And what God was doing here is God says, I'm going to go to your neighborhood. I'm going to come to right where you are, right where you live. This is so important for us to see. Because so many times we feel like God is far away and God says, no, I'm going to come right to where you live. I'm going to come right to your messiness. I'm going to come into your dysfunction. I'm going to come right where you live so you can know and see my presence. How many watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up? Isn't he the best? I love Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right? How many say, yeah, I admitted I watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right? We, we all liked it. He'd come in, put his shoes on, put his nice Carnegie sweater on. Remember that? And what would Mr. Rogers do? He'd come in, he'd walk down, and he'd, he'd invite you, what, into his neighborhood, and I would love when the trolley came and then you would go into the neighborhood of make-believe, right? Where all the puppets were and everything and you, you just couldn't wait and then have all these storylines. And he was inviting you into his neighborhood, especially into this neighborhood of, of make-believe and you couldn't wait to go to this neighborhood of... I always wanted to ride on the trolley. I was like, I wish I could just get on the trolley and ride into this neighborhood of make-believe. I always, I always love that about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. But this is what God does for us. He actually comes to us. He actually brings home to us. You see, what the tabernacle teaches us is not about all these specifics like you got to build it this way, you got to build it that way. But more than that, what I want you to see is what the tabernacle teaches us is that God is actually with us and that he actually desires to dwell with us. That's what I want you to see. The tabernacle was not built for us. The tabernacle was built for God. 
Do you realize that you were built for God and his purpose? When you realize that your whole life changes, God created you for his purposes, that he might dwell in you, that you might know and see his glory, that his glory may reside within you. And I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm getting excited. So hold on. That's page eight. So I'm on page six. So we got to wait on. Just hold on. Okay, so just don't get ahead of me on your notes. So here's, we see the tabernacle. It teaches us that God is with us and he dwells with us. So what we see in the tabernacle is the tabernacle actually is a picture that's fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And here's how we know. Well, in John 1.14, John describes Jesus and why he came amongst us. John 1.14 says this. The word became what? Flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. What John is telling us here is Jesus, who is the word, became flesh incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel, and made his dwelling among us. Now, let, let's, let's dig into that dwelling because it's important for us to understand. See, what makes this passage so intriguing is the word made his dwelling among us. The word dwelling is the exact same word used in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 that we just read, where God says, then have them make a sanctuary for me that I might dwell among them. Every single early Christian would have read first John this way. The word became flesh and tabernacled among them. Now, are you starting to see the picture of the Old Testament tabernacle and the purpose of it? Are you starting to see the fulfillment that it is in Christ? See, they would have understood that us reading it today, maybe without Jewish roots or not without Old Testament roots. We, we may have overlooked this real quickly or, or, or just glossed over and not understood what's going on here. This is a fulfillment of God's presence and why he built the tabernacle and why he wanted them to build the tabernacle. So they would read it this way. The word became flesh and tabernacled among them. Literally, this means that God pitched his tent among us. God came down to where we are. God came down to where Israel was so that he, they could see his presence. The cloud literally enveloped the tabernacle. The, the, the tabernacle or the tent would be set up right in the middle of the camp of Israel so that the camp of Israel and all the tribes of Israel would be surrounded around this tent that his presence would be right there in the middle of them. You see, in the garden, God comes to Adam and Eve. He's dwelling among them. In the desert, God comes to Moses in the form of this burning bush. And through the tabernacle, God comes to Israel that they might worship him. And through Christ, God now comes to us. So what does John say here? Well, what John, John says here is the word Jesus becomes flesh and dwelt among us. So God comes to us, not the other way around. Because if that were the case, we would all fail instantly, miserably. If we had to try to make our way to God, we would all fail miserably. But here's what I love about God. And I'm, I'm hoping this, this changes what you think or maybe your perception about God. 
We all think in order to reach God, I've got to change something about myself, don't we? Yeah, pastor, I want to come to church, but I've got, got to get some new clothes. I've got to, you know, yeah, I've got to clean up some things in my life. You know, I've got to get things right and, you know, before I can do that. And we, we have this perception of God like, like we've got to clean ourselves up before God will accept us. How many know that's not the way it works? What God says is you come just as you are. Messed up, jacked up, weirded up, messed up, dysfunctional up, all that stuff. And you come to God and you say, God, I give you myself. I give you my shortcomings. I give you my sins. See, the, the problem is we want to feel like we have a part of that, of fixing ourselves up. And God says, you have no part of it. It's only by my grace. It's only by my grace. It's only through your faith in Christ that you can be saved. So you come just as you are. And I think that's the problem with religion so often is that we feel like we have so much of a part of it of our salvation. And God says, no, it's only by my grace that you're saved. You didn't merit it. You didn't earn it. But God says, I want you to come to me just as you are. And I'm going to come right in the middle of your messiness. Do you realize that someone could be in a drunken stupor on a street corner and call out to God and God will come right into that midst of that situation? Do you realize that wherever you go, you take the presence of God with you? See, God wanted them to realize, Israel, listen, when you pack up and you begin to move in the wilderness, you pack up. The tabernacle was movable. It was a tent. It wasn't a permanent structure. For when that tent moved, they knew that God's presence was going with them. And look, now, next week, I can't wait. Let, let's just, I'm going to preach next week's sermon right now. Let me get to notes because it's so good next week. I know it's a shameless plug for next week, but... Next week is all about God's prayer. I, I just, it's, I'm excited to, to speak it because it's just such a good passage that we see in Exodus with, with, with Moses desiring God's presence more than anything else in his life. You see, God desired to be with him. That's why he was so specific about how they were to build the tabernacle. I want you, I want to be in your midst. I want to go before you. I want to go behind you. That cloud's going to lead you by day, fire by night. That was a sign to them that God's presence is with us. I want to be with you. And so God's presence is fulfilled for us in Christ Jesus coming right into our midst. That's what I love about the Christmas story. Because where was Jesus born? In a stable, in a barn, placed in a feeding trough? He came right down into our messiness as the savior of the world. Right into our messiness. God dwelt among all that stuff. And see, we think, well, God, I, I got to hide things from you. you. How many know we can't hide anything from God? It, but we think we got to polish it up and make our sins smell better. It still stinks, right? God says, listen, I don't want to, I want you to, I want to bring you out of that stuff. You see, when you have, see, for me, I was brought up in a church where I, I never really sensed God's presence. I'm not saying the people were bad there, but it just, they didn't preach the gospel. They didn't preach a changed life. So I went to church and I went to church and I just thought just going to church is this religious thing. Until I realized that God actually wanted to have a living, breathing relationship with me. And I started going to church and I started sensing God's presence and the way it was preached and the way it was taught. And then I started feeling a little convicted about myself. I'm like, man, this God thing, I think it's real. 
Because why? I felt God's presence knocking at my heart. I saw other people that were living out God's presence before me and something was different about their lives and the way they lived their lives that really convicted me. See, God says, I want my presence to be real in your life. I don't want it to be some mundane religious thing that you just go through the motions. I want it to be real in your life every single day. And so what God does is he comes right into our world, right into our messiness, right into our dysfunction, and he lives and he makes his home with us. And so everything about the tabernacle points to Christ. All things in the tabernacle signify how we are to approach God. The sacrifices had to be made for sin. The blood was then sprinkled on the mercy seat, which was on the top of the ark where the commandments were. The sprinkling of the blood, blood on the mercy seat signified the forgiveness of sin. Only the high priest could enter into the holy of holies of the tabernacle and offer the blood of the animals on behalf of the people to cover their sin. And it was just atoned for for that time. But then Jesus fulfills this for us. He becomes our high priest who offers himself on behalf of us and offers his own blood as a sacrifice for my sin. Through Christ, I find mercy and forgiveness and I, and I find forgiveness and he takes the wrath of God for us. I love what the Hebrew writer writes here in Hebrews 10. Let me read to you. It's really good how Jesus fulfills the tabernacle for us. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with what a true heart in full assurance with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience in our bodies washed with pure water. See, now we have an advocate for us. Jesus now becomes our high priest. Jesus now becomes our sacrifice. Jesus fulfills everything about the temple of God. And what does he do? He lives with inside of us. God's presence now resides in us. The Bible says that now we become the tabernacle for God's glory to dwell in us. God created you so his glory could dwell in you. That's why he created you. It wasn't because he was lonely. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I think that's a pretty good relationship right there. Right? He created you that his glory might be in you and dwell in you so that you might enter into the dance of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and, 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 and understand that beautiful fellowship that's there. Jesus even said, listen, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send another one just like me to dwell in you, to be in you, which is the Holy Spirit. And so because of Christ, we are never, ever alone. God's presence is always with us. You might feel alone at times. You might feel away from God. You may think, man, I felt closer to God maybe 20 years ago. What's going on? I want to let you know that God never leaves you. He'll never forsake you. There may be times that we go through those alone times, but, but through Christ, we're never alone. So the Bible tells us that we now become the temple of God. Christ now dwells in us. And we as the church are the body of Christ. You see, the building here at Living Word is nothing special. It's just, it's just sheetrock and it's just whatever. But it's the people of God. It's when we come together to worship Christ and what he's done for us that makes it so special. 
You see, God's presence goes with us. And when we leave this place, we take Christ with us to our jobs and our neighborhoods. We now become that tabernacle of God, not just in here, but where it becomes really special and really unique is when we take it into the world. When people see something different about our lives, that we take it with us. So you could just be sitting in your cubicle at work and you can have the presence of God right there with you. When someone's hurting, when someone's going through something, the presence of God is with you to minister to that person, to be that light in this dark world. God's presence goes with you. It doesn't stay right here. We come together in God's people. What makes it special is God's presence because we bring it here together. We want God to move in our midst because we are the people of God. That's what makes the church so unique and so special. God's presence goes with us. I want you to realize God wants to use you in this world, not just here, but in this world to allow his presence to shine forth in your life. The other day, um, I'm, I'm coaching my daughter's volleyball team, JV team. I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's really fun played volleyball in college all the rules have changed that was like 40 years ago but it's fun and the girls are great and uh we had a game the other day and one of the girls got hurt her jaw was hurt and she was kind of crying and so me as the coach it's like we're like halfway through the second game it's a timeout so i'm like does anybody have an ice bag are you doing all right and then one girl goes well let's pray i'm like no no no. we just need an ice bag you know i'm like you know i'm just teasing this one girl's full of faith so no we didn't and what what happens all the girls gather around they laid hands on this girl. And we were at a public school at the time. And we're just praying. And I don't know what the other team was thinking. But I thought, that girl gets it. She didn't care where, where we were. She didn't care that it was in the middle of a volleyball game. She didn't care that I wanted to win the game. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> See, I think we forget that we carry God's presence wherever we go. Can you understand now how important it is the way you live your life? If you are now the tabernacle of God where his glory resides, do you see how important that is the way we live that out in our world today? Your body is now the temple where God resides. I go with you wherever you are. It's a dress rehearsal for what will come that God says, I'm going to dwell with you permanently. And I, I love, let me just finish with the scripture. Cause I love the picture that, that John gets while he's exiled to the Island of Patmos. And he's, he's suffering because of his testimony in Christ Jesus. And he gets this revelation and, and, and we see this in the book of revelation, but he gets this, he gets this glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. And I love these words in revelation chapter 21. And I read this many times that, believers funerals because it gives us so much hope that God is ultimately preparing us to go home with him and that with Christ dwelling in us now it's just dress rehearsal it gives us that security of knowing that ultimately we'll be home with the Lord and that's why Jesus comforted his disciples he says, listen listen don't let your hearts be troubled trust in God trust also in me for in my father's house are many rooms many dwelling places if we're not so I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you do you believe this and I love what John says here in John, in Revelation 21. John speaks here, and, and this, this is the vision that he's given. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, there's the word dwelling, 
The dwelling place of God is with who? It's us. And he will do what? He will dwell with them. And he will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things has passed away. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How does knowing that Christ is with you and and dwells in you change the way you look at your life? How does it change the way you look at the world? How does it change the way you look at your trials? Because if I really understand that when I've come to God by faith through his grace and I place my faith in Christ Jesus and he places his Holy Spirit within me and he now dwells within me, it changes everything. See, knowing that Christ is with us and dwells in us, it changes the way you look at your life because we know this isn't ultimately our home. That I'm never alone. That my hope is in the one who conquered the grave for me. It changes the way you look at the world now. That God, you want me to reach out to her. That my purpose now in this world is to reach out to others, to show them the way back home. How God changed my life through his son, Jesus Christ. It changes the way you look at your trials because you know they're only temporary. They're not permanent. That even through our trials, we know that God is with us and will never leave us or forsake us. We we can put our full confidence. We can, we can completely lean on the Lord because he's with us. There's this interesting image that I love that a Jewish person understands very well. They have a prayer shawl that they wear. And what they do sometimes with that prayer shawl is they'll actually put it over their heads. And you know what that is? They see that as a tabernacle. God, you're over me. I love that symbolism. That God, you are always with me. That you're over me. And here's what I love about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. No matter where you are, God is tabernacling with you. Alone in your bedroom, in your car, wherever you are, there's that presence, there's that place that you can go to the Lord that you know that he's here, that you know that he's with you, that you're never alone. And so, listen, as we pray and as we just finish in song today, here's, here's what I want to pray for you today. Some of you, 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 some of you here today, you might have contemplated taking your life this week. Some of you here today, you might be just lonely. And you're saying, does God really know me and hear me and love me? I want to tell you, he does. And you are here for a reason to hear these very words. I don't care if you're young, old. We all struggle with loneliness, trying to fit in our identity. Listen, are we not seeing that in our world today? People are struggling with who they are. 
And Jesus says, I've come to earth to show you and to live in you and to show you the way that you're never alone. That's how much he loves us here today. And I don't know if that was for anyone here today, but I just want to encourage you here today to know that God loves you and he cares about you. He's got a plan for your life. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. He cares for you. He loves you today. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for you today. And maybe some of you are just struggling with that today. And I want you to realize that God wants to come right into your midst, right into your loneliness, right into your messiness, whatever it is. And he says, let me live within you. I want to come and I want to go right where you're at today. So listen, would you bow your bow your hearts to me? Just bow your heads for a moment, just a moment. And then we're going to, we're just going to sing and we're going to, I want to make this just a sacred moment right now. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want this, I don't want this time to slip by. How many of you just say, pastor, pray for me today. I just need to know God's presence. You you hit it on the head, pastor. I, I need to know God's presence in my life. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'm not, I'm not here to embarrass you, but I just want to pray for you today. Good, good, good. He's here. He's here. He's just waiting for you to invite him in. He's here today. Lord, I thank you for those who acknowledged you right now, and I pray that you would speak to them in a very specific way. I thank you that anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I thank you that anyone that calls on Christ, you come and you you will heal us and redeem us and change us. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins that we can find through Jesus. So I pray that you would just come in this moment and speak to every heart. God, at the end of the day, no matter what we go through, you are still good and you are still perfect in all your ways. So thank you for touching the heart of your people. Thank you for those that boldly raise their hand and acknowledge their need for you. Meet them right now, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.